So Acts chapter 3, please, I'm reading from the NIV this morning. Um, Our title is A Changed Life and a Life Changer, because if you're saved this morning, not only do you have a changed life, but you have been empowered to be a life changer. Amen? What you speak to people and how you point people to Jesus, you carry power with that. Many of you know that firsthand. You've seen um, friends, loved ones come to faith. Although we wouldn't claim it, we recognize that God used us to um, point people to the Lord and and just be there at the right time, as it were. So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Peter and John. This is after Pentecost. They've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And we've heard about the power. We read about it. We've been looking at it last week. I want to pull out this morning what that looks like in a life. And what we're going to see this morning is men who are used greatly of God, not through any talents or gifts of their own, not through their own wealth or who they thought they were, but through one name, the name of Jesus, they've seen great things done. So don't be looking at your bank account this morning, no matter how full it is, how empty it is, it doesn't hinder your ministry. Don't look at anything else, but if you want to see life's changed, always point people to Jesus. Amen? We are powerless to save, to help anybody in any way other than through that wonderful name. So let us, let us read together. It's uh, verses 1 through to 10. Peter heals a lame beggar is the title within my text this morning. So now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms for those who entered the temple, or money to be more our uh, understanding, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for money and fixing or fastening his eyes on him with John, Peter said to him, look at us. And he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, and Peter said, Silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging money at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what happened to them. Can I just say to you this morning, church, if you're saved, there's people in your family and they're looking at you and they don't really understand it. They see it. They see the change. They they know something's happened, but they don't understand it. Perhaps you don't even understand it. God has done something with your life. And that's the power that we're talking about in Pentecost. It's not airy-furry, up-in-the-sky type of stuff. It's real-day, real-life evidence can be seen in and through your life. I remember many years ago a man preaching this text, and he, he said in his opening line he always struggled with the text because he could never understand why the man asked for arms when he needed legs. I thought I wouldn't use that joke this morning, but I'll just quote a minute. But I want to say this, every believer is in power to make a difference in the world. Isn't that right, church? Do you feel that? I don't feel that too often. But the Bible teaches that. We are in power to make a difference in the world. And it has been said that if you desire to make a difference in the world, well, you must be different from the world. It's not something. We must be different from the world if we want to change it. And in our text, we see the early church 
made a difference in the world around them. And I think we must say the church today makes a difference around them. We sometimes can look that far back and pull out what they do. that We forget what God is using us to do. But let's be clear, this was a, a time of great paganism, if you like. And in our text, we see this early band of believers made a difference to the world around them. And they did this through the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. That, for me, relieves me. It sets me free. And if, we, if you read the text slowly, you notice that this beggar was set outside the temple for many years. Now, this tells us something. It tells us every day in Jerusalem, believers walk past this man, yet this man remained unchanged. Why? A man called Taylor Gregor says this. Everybody has troubles, but not everybody has Jesus, and therefore it's Jesus that makes the difference. That's why this man remained unchanged, because it's Jesus who changes lives. And last week we saw Peter standing around the fire, you remember, and warming himself, silenced by fear. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's been your experience this week. You've had opportunities. People spoke to you about the Lord, maybe asked you, were you a Christian? Who knows? Maybe you felt it easier to say nothing. That's a fear that we all can experience. And last week we've seen this in Peter. He stood with the fear of failure. You remember the fear of sinking, the fear of loss, the personal cost. What is this going to cost me? The fear of men, which is a great hindrance to the ministry in our lives. But then we looked at the day of Pentecost and we've seen that Peter along with the, the apostles and the 120, were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of them fleshly fears that you and I have within us, they had to go, thank God. And Peter became a new man of God. And if you're saved this morning, you're a new man, you're a new woman. And Peter was a man who had a changed life, but who would go on to be a life changer. Now, it's, it's, it's this presence of of the power of God, this power of God that enables a church to change lives. That's what does it in your life, the presence of God. When we wait upon the Lord, He works through us. When we're not in a great place, we often find we're not great in the ministry. We're not good at the things around us. It's through the Spirit that Jesus is now working through His disciples, which is His church. I want us to see this. Now, this power that I'm speaking about that empowers us to be life changers, and also a changed life. It's revealed in many, many ways. In fact, we, we spend most of our life preaching about the power of God. So this morning, we're not going to spend the rest of our lives this morning here, but we're going to look at three simple powers that I see within the life of Peter. We're going to look at three, because three seems to what works. There's the power of prayer in a man's life. Now, there's something in this power of prayer. It's not about going away and sitting, and there's just something about the prompting so there's the power to see. When you come to faith, God gives you eyes to see things that you didn't necessarily see before. And then there's the power to witness. So the power to pray. One commentator said this, that Jesus wants people to know that his presence, his power are still at work and they're still available to men today. That's what these stories remind us, that Christ has ascended the early church has been empowered, and, and Jesus is still changing life through men and women. That's what he wants to know. 
his great love and concern for the world is, is still being manifested through the lives of his church, of his disciples. Then he says this, in fact, Jesus has no feet but our feet. He's no hands but our hands and no voice but our voice. I asked myself a question when I read that quote. Does Christ speak through believers? Is that really what the Bible teaches? And it would appear to be yes. This resurrected Christ can speak through you. And that's what I want to get through to you this morning. Because the old enemy does a good job of keeping us silent, keeping us deflated, keeping us busy, keeping us distracted. But these wee truths that, that the Father just says, listen, when you speak, you speak with an authority. Well, where do I get that authority to say that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, for your own notes, you know it well. For we are ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. And God has making his appeal through us because we speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God, we speak for Christ. And that's the authority behind the power of each believer. We speak for Christ. And Jesus works through everyday people like you and I to reach everyday people. And that's what the ministry is. It's not always glamorous. It's not always a million people watching us. It's our everyday interactions with everyday people that we are empowered to change our lives. Now, Peter and John received power to pray. You remember many times Jesus in his darkest times, where were the disciples who were snoring their heads off? And we sometimes read that and we give out to them, listen, if you and I had been there, we'd have been lying onto that fig tree snoring too while sweats of blood were coming out of the Savior's forehead. It's just in the nature of the beast. But Peter and John, like you and I, have received a power to pray. And these men were described by many theologians as prayer warriors as they looked at their life going right through. Now, the, notice the phrase, the ninth hour. Now, this is three o'clock in the afternoon that these men went up to pray in the temple. Now, we know that the Jews observed three stated times of prayer, the, the third hour, which was nine o'clock in the morning, the, the sixth hour, which was 12 o'clock, and then it was the ninth hour, this was 3 p.m. Now, it appears that Peter and John had received a desire, a great desire to pray. They, they, they had this desire to shut the world out and to allow the Lord in. Now, that's the prompting of the Spirit because the Spirit knows, God knows that we need to shut the world out at times. To wait upon the Lord, and, and that's what we see Peter and John doing, to be, to be filled afresh with the Spirit of Jesus. And that's what we forget sometimes. We sometimes look at the Holy Spirit as an alien, some, some the third part of the Trinity that we don't like to, to speak about too much because it's a wee bit past our understanding. But understand it's the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, a, he's his own entity. Of course he has. But the Bible tells us in Galatians 4 and 6, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit of his son. Prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now there's a word there that I want, want you to remember. Prompting. That's what the spirit does within you. It prompts you. Do you know when there's something not right? Prompting. There's something that you need to do. There's a prompting. There's somebody that needs prayer. There's a prompting. That's the work of the spirit. It prompts us. And the believer knows the prompting of the spirit within their life. And here we see Peter and John was prompted to, go, prompted to go at a strange hour, an inconvenient hour even, to, to pray to the Lord in the temple. So what I say is, Peter received a part of prayer, just very subtle this morning. He also received a part of see, because I want to press more into this, a part of see. Before we were saved, we walked past many a brokenness, didn't we? 
Sometimes, perhaps, we still do, but there's, there's certain times where God will, will, or the Spirit will prompt us to see something, to see somebody, and maybe put it on our heart to go and speak to that person. But Jesus prompts his church to see the needs of others around them. That's supernatural, because we're so self-consumed before we come to faith. We didn't necessarily see the spiritual needs or the physical needs of those right before our eyes, as we see in the early, well, the, the Jewish people going to the tabernacle. Now, Jesus prompts his children through the Spirit of God. This poor man that we read about, we're told, was lame from birth. And daily, this, this, this cripple was, was carried to the door of the, temp, the, the temple, to a gate called Beautiful, to ask for money. He was asking specifically those who were entering the temple to pray. And what this tells us about that present-day state of worship was it wasn't great. We know that Israel had lost her way. Religion had replaced pure faith. And the temple had become powerless to change lives. And if we're not careful, we could find ourselves in a gathering where it's powerless to impact us. If we ignore the prompting, if we don't be, be seeking God in our lives, we too can find ourselves at a place that's powerless. But that's not the New Testament church. It's, it's got power to change lives. Men and women come to faith and don't just make confessions but go on to live lives for God. But here we see that the temple had become a place of religion. It was powerless. How do we know this? Well, we're told in the story. From a young age, this beggar, he sat at the temple gate to seek money. He was unable to work. This man just wasn't on the double here, just trying to claim benefits. It was quite evident this man was unable to work. Yet, he, he, he was stood there and left there unchanged, right at the house of God. Now, we don't know how many years he sat at the temple for. It was 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We don't really know. What we do know is that all the people of the town knew him. Now, this could be you this morning. All the people knew him. Now, one commentator paints a picture of this type of man. He was a helpless cripple. He was ignored by society. He didn't have his family behind him. There was no one there to take care of his needs. He was left. Some people threw him at the temple gate every morning, but that was it. He was poor in all ways. He had to fend for himself. He never fitted in, and he never had been accepted. That's a picture of this man. And every day, God's people walked past him as they went to pray at the third hour. They never, ever really seen him. Yes, they've seen him, but they never really seen him. But the Lord had his eye on him. And you could be that person this morning. You could be such an outcast. You could feel completely invisible in this world and think that nobody, not even those who proclaim faith, can see you. But yet the Bible teaches us that the eyes of the Lord was upon this poor cripple, which is a picture of humanity. Church, before you were saved, there was many people walked past you and never, ever seen you. But God had his eye upon you. And he saved you. At the right time, he set the right person before you to point you to Jesus. Now, verse 4, look at verse 4. This beggar, when he asked Peter for money, I want you to notice something about him. Peter looked at him and said, look at us. Now, we can, we can just skip over that. But what I realized here is this, that this cripple, he was so downcast in spirit that he was unable to make eye contact with Peter. One man put it this way, years of having people look over him, 
had taught him that he was different and he didn't belong. This man had become withdrawn from society, cut off. He was unable to look people in the eye. Listen, he had no self-worth. Do you know the world can do that to a man? It can leave him so broken that he hasn't even got the desire to look, to lift his head. And the Bible tells us that the Lord is a lifter of our heads. I know what that is, personally. Walked about with my head down. Couldn't get enough stuff in me to get my head up. Then I was down again the next morning, you see? But the Lord, when he comes into your life, he's a lifter of our heads. But the world causes the heads of men to fall. And we see that in this man. He was broken. He had no worth, no future. We see that this man was broken without because he was lame. But listen, he was also broken within. And that's the greatest healing that's needed here this morning. The only cure for the eternal void within men and women is the Lord Jesus Christ. Society had written this beggar off and Maybe that is how you feel this morning, written off by society and forgotten. But God has a plan for your life. You just need to let him in. Now, this beggar, I want you to notice, he, he typifies so many within this world. Men and women, broken within and broken without. Wounded from the neglect of family, from friends, from men. Made feel invisible by all who are around them, but don't really see them. But listen, there's a deeper truth calling out to us in this text for a warning or a lesson to us. Many in this world suffer, are suffering, not just from the neglect of the world, but listen, from the neglect of God's people. The people who daily made their way to the temple each day to pray. We need to see this because as you're making your way to your workplace and then places where God has placed us each and every day, I wonder how many people God has placed there and, and perhaps we don't see them or we don't see them as we ought to see them. And that's what I felt that we want to prompt with us this morning because God has given us eyes to see, hasn't he? We can see the needs of others. We can see, just this morning as I was making my way here, I, I seen a man walking across from Dunn's in a pair of shorts, four tins of beer in his hand, the belly hanging out and him drunk. No more than 25 years of age. What did I see? Did I see a drunk? I seen a man who needs the Lord. I seen a man who's lost. A man who has lost his self-worth. He's found his security in the beer. His head's somewhat up at the minute. I guarantee you tomorrow morning it'll be down. Because that's what happens. And God gives us eyes to see. Not to condemn, but to see. Like God's people fail to see the deeper needs of this cripple in their time. Now, it's easy to pass a beggar by, isn't it, and not know what to do. I've often found myself in that position. Sometimes it's easier just to walk on and turn a blind eye. I confess that. There's, sometimes it's so difficult. But all I know is, according to the Scriptures, when a man or woman is filled with the Holy Ghost and prompted by the Lord, which is the important thing, to go and help a person... God then does something that we ourselves are unable to do. That's what I see. And that is to change this person's life for good. Amen. If God prompts us. That's the difference. I've spoke to homeless people before and all they really want is my money. They don't even want a meal sometimes. It's just money. But when there's a prompting of the Lord in my own experience, there's, there's normally a, a convicting going on to that person. Because that's what we see within Scripture. 
Because God takes the downcast and he lifts them up. He takes the harlot and he gives her a new value and a new life. He takes the broken life and he rebuilds it one day at a time. And we must, like Peter and John, fasten our eyes onto the lost and the broken that God has placed in our lives. See, it's not enough to see a person hurting. That's one thing, but to try and meet that need is another. Now, I want to focus in on the word fastening. It's in the New King James Version, the Greek word where Peter, it says, fastened his eyes um, on the beggar. Now, th this word means a fixed attention. It's not a casual, see you, walk on. It's a fixed, it, was a, it says a steadfast attention or continuous gaze upon something. That's a supernatural work. One commentator put it this way, that Peter looked and saw the man in need, but he couldn't look away. That's the difference. He could have looked away and, and just passed the man, man by as most people did, but he couldn't. You see, he goes on to say, Peter was now indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He was on earth to meet the needs of the world for the Lord. And therefore, he fastened his eyes upon the man, being full of concern and full of compassion, com compassion, because that's what the Spirit does in us. And Peter had the power to see the need of this cripple. And Peter said to the man, look at us. Lift your eyes up and look. And Peter reached out to help that man, and he himself was unable to help. And therefore, allowing the prompting of the Spirit in the name of Jesus to lead him. Now listen, I want to say this. Peter and John didn't wait. They stopped how often we hesitate and wait for a better time to move. How often we deceive ourselves. You know, I'll wait. The timing isn't maybe right to go to that person. But yet, in John 3, 4 and 35, we're told this. Do not say to yourselves, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Don't wait. If God prompts you, that telling you the harvest is ripe. As he goes on to say, I tell you, lift up your what? Your sickle? Lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. You see, we're, we're people changers. When we lift up our eyes and see the need and go, we're like that harvester that goes to the field and brings in the harvest. And Peter received these spiritual eyes to, to see what many believers before him going to the temple missed for years. Look around you each day, church. Ask the Lord to show you someone he wants you to speak to. Think of it. Is it possible that we all have one person that God has placed in our lives that he wants us to speak to? We can't save them. If they shake their shoulders and tell us to go on, we'll go on. But at least let us be faithful to the prompt them. Because filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter received power to pray. He received power to see the lost and the needy. Now lastly, Peter received the power to witness. Peter looked at the beggar and he asked the beggar to look at him. He had to point people's eyes to the Lord and off the world, and off their situation, because that's the biggest hindrance for men. All they can see is their, the shock that they're lying in, and how to get his eyes off of himself and his situation. And this beggar, for the first time in his life, really fixed his attention back on Peter and John. You see, the Lord had got his attention. His eyes was fixed, and this man was expecting to receive something, and receive he, he did. And Peter says to this man, he says, listen, silver and gold I have not, because that's all that man was looking at this time money. And Peter deals with it very quickly. Listen, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, you see. It's all he had. It's all he needed. Rise up and walk. 
in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now listen, this poor beggar, like many today, believed he needed money and more of it for happiness. He believed he needed food and more of it to be content. More clothing and a bigger house. That's what the world thinks it needs. That's what I thought I needed before I came to faith. Now, these things can't heal the brokenness of within a man's soul. And, and Samuel says this, 1 Samuel 16, man looketh in the outward appearance. It's all we see, and therefore all we often desire. But the Lord looketh in the heart. Now, this man needed fixed without, but all importantly within. And in this story, God took up upon himself to look after the physical and spiritual needs of this man. Now, the cure for the lost soul is not silver and gold. It will discourage your soul, not cure it. The cure for the lost soul is the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, I want you to notice something here, because this is the, the, the role of the church. We all have a part to play. It says Peter took him by the hand and helped him up. Then immediately, notice that, then immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Church, I just want to say this, because I've seen it. The gospel has power to change lives. You know that in your own life. But the responsibility that the church has been given is to give people a hand up. Help them on their way in their newfound faith. There's many a man, many a woman has come to the faith and they've fallen. And the church has turned their back, not truly saved. Who's out there? Look at the way he's living completely forgot about the shock that God taken us from when we think like that. Here we see a man who was changed, but we see the hands of the church lift him up and set him on, the, on his newfound faith. What a beautiful picture. And need you be saved 30 years, you'll still need a hand from your brother, isn't that right, and your sister, to help you on your way. This man received the gospel and a little hand up from the gutter. Now look at verse 8, because this is where I'm going to close it off. We are told something about this man's changed life. Verse 8 says, And leaping up, speaks of new life, he stood and began to walk. There's a new future. He entered the, te the temple, and you desire to pray. And with them, walking and leaping and praising God, he had a new song in his heart. That's what a changed life looks like. That's the power of the gospel that can do that to men and women. I can do that to you this morning. Listen, in Christ, this cripple got a new life. You can have that. I trust you have it. A new future, new godly desires, and a new song in your heart. Thank God that's what the power of Pentecost does to the believer. And as we close, there's something I want to bring out about this beggar. Something that you might realize, not realize about yourself today that I see in this man. Look at verse 9. All the people saw him walking. Now, this is the old cripple. If you like the old drunkard or the old drug dealer or the old uh, fraudulent man up the road that's now saved, you see? Now, all the people, this is the world, saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, here's something that we don't, the enemy doesn't want us to see. This man was well known as a nobody, as an old cripple, a beggar. So all he was, that was his identity. But then Jesus turned up and turned his life around. And the people looked on in utter disbelief. Because that's what the Bible can do, the gospel can do to a man. 
Once lying on the street begging with no life, no future. Now what's he doing, church? He's standing. He's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. And this, this beggar became a, a great witness to the lost. And so too are each of you this morning. Don't we forget that, that you too, when you're, you're saved, you're, the people who, who know you in your life, they still look on. They speak to you like they're still you, but they look on. They, they recognize there's something different. Something that God is doing in your life, people see. And as you go about your week, remember that the people who once used, knew you before you were saved are watching, and there's amazement in their life. What God has, do, has done and is doing in your life, I want to tell you this as we, we just wrap up. Silver and gold can't buy it. What you received is of the Lord. What you possess is of the Lord, and all who see it desire it, and they can't buy it, and they've tried. Only Christ can give them what they truly need, and that's our, that's our job, that's our message. Only in, one, only in Christ can one receive peace for the soul, salvation. So in conclusion, the Spirit-filled believer has received power, the prompting of the Spirit to pray, power to see that longing soul that needs encouragement, not condemnation, power to witness through our words, but listen through our deeds, that people looked on in amazement. Amen. You've received the change life, church. You're now empowered to be a life changer. Walk in that. Live in that. And I pray that this week you will experience that like never before. And I close with Matthew 5 and 16. Lovely words of the Savior to his church. Let your light so shine before men because you're a life changer. That, he, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen.